And we welcome you inside the Sports Ethos Sacramento Kings podcast. Sam Comente here with you alongside, as always, the incomparable, the all-knowing Jill Adge. And on this Friday episode, our favorite episode, our favorite day of the week, we have a couple people with us. We're doing a, a Kings Roundtable 2.0, except we replaced the people from the first one, all but one of them. I don't know why this guy is so special, but he gets to come back and, and do this again with us. But we brought in some new faces. Uh, first up, we're going to introduce Trevor Kensia. He's a Buster Posey's good friend, diehard Kings fan. And a little note I had to make about Trevor, I'm following him on Twitter now for a little bit. Very insightful tweeter. He says a lot of good, like, you know, I agree with everything this guy says. Very, very astute, I guess, is, is the best word I can think of. You're smart, Trevor. All right. Hi. <laughs> thank welcome. You, thank you, Sam. Good to be here. I'm glad to have you. We have the guy who doesn't treat, uh, tweet as intelligently, but we still love him nonetheless. John Bull. He's been on with us before. A photographer, a very sad Bears fan, um, and but still Justin Fields' number one fan, I think. I am. Yeah, you are. Unfortunately, he's not playing Sunday though, so we're still a little down. Yeah, you could. You guys can never have anything nice. Uh, and what never. jersey are we wearing today, John? The Demarcus Cousins half and half with the beautiful. That is one perfect. of the best. Uh, and then our last guest is a dramatic Kings fan and a writer for the Kings Herald. She always always likes my tweets, so she was the first person I thought of to bring on today. We have Marianne Samora join us. Hi. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I went for it with the name. If I got it off a little bit, I'm sure I did. I'm sorry. You're good. You're good. You we'll nailed it. Uh, okay, perfect. Welcome, guys. Welcome all three of you to the show. I did it this way. John will remember the first time we did this roundtable, I, for whatever reason, I just decided to have every person introduce themselves, and it turned into what seemed like a, an AA meeting, as <laughs> Connor Sutton astutely pointed out. A guest on that show said this, you know, we feel like we're at AA. So I, I tried a different approach. I'm not sure how I feel. I kind of like the AA one. John, did you? I feel like that one was funnier. Yeah, I mean, either way works, but it did feel a little AA. But yeah, and then I don't have to talk as much. You guys can do it, That's and it true. could be awkward for you guys and not for me. Just get like, that icebreaker right? talk out of the way too, though. Yeah, it's like just two minutes of my voice. I I hate it. Uh, okay, on this show, we are going to hear from each one of our guests. They're going to tell us how they feel about the Kings. Um, we all have a rap sheet, a long, long, long list of opinions about how we feel about the Sacramento Kings right now. They're going to share their feelings. They're going to give their takes on Alvin Gentry. I'm going to ask them to give final record predictions based on what we see right now, how we feel about the 9-14 and 14 Sacramento Kings. Uh, and then we'll do a little guessing game of trades. And of course, as always on Fridays, we will close with a Jill's water cooler. But to start us out, let's let's start with Trevor. Again, welcome, Trevor. Thank you for taking time to come with us. What uh, what what would you want to say first about the Sacramento Kings? About how you feel about them right now? Like, just I'm going to make that a very open-ended question. <laughs> well, uh, it's been quite a trying season, I guess to say the least. Um, I will say that I. I didn't really have a lot of high hopes for Alvin Gentry. I, I kind of thought he would be, I mean, I thought he was, you know, he's a, got experience and that's uh, important, but um, I just kind of didn't think he would try to make any big changes. I thought he would just try to be, keep the status quo that, that Luke had. And I do like some of the things that he's doing. He's, um, you know, really pulling people right away if they're not um, doing something that's according to plan or playing defense. Um, it, you know, some of the things he's saying in the press conferences, you know, it, it's encouraging. Uh, at this point, I'm just not sure if this is the right uh, personnel that can respond to him or to any coach. It just seems like there's so many issues 
with this team mentally not focusing and uh, and I don't even know if it matters who the coach really is um but I mean we just kind of got to wait and see I guess as far as what, if Gentry can can get something out of these out of these guys or if we'll have to kind of move on and <laughs> and switch it up but um that's kind of how I feel at this current moment if you ask me again after the next game I might say something different <laughs> Do you love how wildly, and I'm going to ask all you guys this, the wildly unpredictable nature of the Sacramento Kings, does that make you like actually stay involved, like tune in more because you're like, I don't really know what's going to happen. Or do you just turn off the TV and just hope for the best? I'm at the point where I don't, I don't know what to expect. So I just don't watch. Yeah. I, I mean, it's sometimes when a game's going rough, I, 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 I mean, I usually kind of want to turn it off, but there's always that back of my head. I'm like, they always are the team that does something really strange that like come back yes. down 25, 30 and they win the game. So I usually leave it on in the background. I might walk in the other room and do some dishes or something. <laughs> I usually have trouble completely turning it off. Um, but, you know, a couple of the last games, I actually have moved on to watch other things and feeling that I'm pretty safe to turn the channel. But I try to stay loyal until the end and, and see what happens because you really never know with this team. Whatever you expect, usually you can assume the opposite will happen. Yeah, it, it seems like that's been the, the King strategy for many years. Miran, <laughs> I know you're a dedicated Kings fan in terms of watching from beginning to end. It, I mean, playing a role in that is the fact that you write for the Kings Herald. So you kind of have to pay attention more than some of us. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. How are you feeling right now? Sad. Oh man, yeah, I I'm getting to the point where the hope and the hype and everything in the beginning it's kind of dead for me right now. <laughs> um, and I don't know, that might be some like emotional recency bias with kind of those couple games that were really really bad. But um, it's kind of just starting to set in for me that this team just isn't very good. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And I'm just kind of accepting that. And I think like Will Will Griffith, you know, at the Kings Herald, he he was smart and he said, you know, he's like, I'm not too upset because I didn't have very high expectations to begin with. And I was like, you're smart. I should have done that. Because I think, you know, foolishly every year, no matter what, beginning of the season, clean slate, zero, zero, you always hope, you know, that they could get out to a good start have a good couple runs, um, which they did this season, but it always happens where it falls apart. And so for me, I feel like I'm starting to crack a bit. <laughs> this is where it's starting to break for me. Yeah. Uh, touching on what Will said there real quick. We love Will. He's been on the show with us. Uh, outstanding. He's a ready native too, um, which I am too. So he, I think he went to Got high school with your brother. Take. What's that? Yeah. I said, except, except for his for jersey, jersey takes. takes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, except for the jersey takes. Uh, no one loves gold in this chat, I hope. Otherwise, you will be dismissed. Uh, no, if you if you have no expectations going in, then you can't get hurt. Exactly. And so if Will, yeah, if Will's of that mindset, then I'm, I'm jealous because I, I want to believe that I would have no expectations every year for the Kings until they mm -hmm. show me something. But I always get, you know, Davion Mitchell got me hyped this year for no real reason. Yeah, uh, the Kings media the best, team expect the worst. Yeah, I was waiting that's, for Jill to say that too. That's the mm -hmm. the golden rule here. Hope Jill slogan. Expect the worst. I honestly feel like, like with this team, I just feel like I'm in an argument with somebody, and right now it's all one sided because I'm the only one that's doing it. <laughs> um, the Kings aren't responding to me, but it just feels like, you know. I'm going back and forth between just wanting to shut down and give up and be like, okay, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. 
But then something happens that pisses me off again, and I'm like right back in, ready to go. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. I, I'm going back and forth between just wanting to give up, but then, you know, just getting impassioned again and, and wanting to fight. Listen, I think we've all at some point in our lives been in an actual relationship with somebody who we know was not good enough for us, but it's just so hard for us to escape them. You know, you just can't yeah. get away. Ex, ex girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be, just some person in high school. Uh, and that's what the Kings are for us, for any Kings fan, really, is they're that, that ex that you just can't escape. They're always there, right? When you think you're turning a corner, then you're like, you know what? And then you go back and you regret it. John, good to have you on again, my friend, uh, as much as I love to mess with you. Your Twitter page, though, dude, I, I, I can't underhype it. Because every time I see you tweet something, I, like, I, I, I literally laugh out loud. Like uh, the one about your daughter the other day, uh, I forgot what you said, like she was getting, why does she look like yeah. she's getting Sunday brunch with the girls or something like that? <laughs> We're walking to school and I turn around, she has her blanket, her hair's kind of messed up. She just has like, looks like she's threw something together and has big old glasses on. And I was like, yeah, she's, looks like she's going to mimosas to get to give her that hangover. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was terrific. Uh, but what are your, what are your takes? I, I mean, you, you're always sharing how you're feeling about the Kings. You usually make it in a, more satirical manner, which I appreciate because you got to find some humor in this, but are you miserable? Um, you know, you say the whole, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, yeah, I mean, we, we had this round table and I, I, you know, I think Kings fans in general kind of go into the season pretty optimistic. I mean, you kind of have to be at this point if you're a Kings fan. Um, so, you know, we went into the season with some optimism. I mean, it was quickly kind of blown up. Um, I, you know, the switch to Alvin Gentry, I thought like, you know, obviously I was pretty pro get rid of Luke for basically since he started now. Um, I never thought that switching to Alvin Gentry was going to fix this team's problems, you know, from the start. I think a lot of this stuff was pretty deep rooted at this point. I don't, um, but what we did notice, or at least what I've noticed though, is that a lot of the reasons now that the Kings are losing is now them. They're not having players actively like you know with under Luke we had him play a lot of redundant players together you saw you know Terrence Davis playing with Buddy Heel all the time and that basically made you know Terrence Davis pretty terrible um and I don't I don't think it's a coincidence that he's kind of woke up now that he's not playing alongside Buddy for most of his minutes um as Trevor pointed out um you're seeing signs of people being held accountable you know we saw players pulled out in the first 90 seconds of a game for assignment issues. Um, that's new. <laughs> we haven't seen that in a little while. Um, so I don't think Alvin Gentry ultimately is the long-term guy. Um, I just think you're finally not having players play against the coach. Um, and I think that helps a little bit. Um, but, you know, one thing that's kind of disappointing is, is I kind of thought Monty did a pretty good job of bringing in tougher guys. Um, and it turns out that it's just, Maybe they're just physically tougher guys, not necessarily mentally tougher guys, um, because this team still seems to you can just physically watch them get deflated and pulled out of games. And so they're not they don't appear to be mentally stronger. And, you know, you're hoping some of that would leak from some of the kind of, you know, championship winning players on the team would leak down to some of the other guys. And, you know, it just doesn't quite seeming it uh, seem to. So, you know, it's kind of – you could watch it happen against the Lakers. When Buddy came down and shot whatever that was from half court with 20 seconds left on a shot clock, you could watch the whole team just get deflated. And so it's unfortunate, but it looks like, you know, there's still some of the mental weakness and 
stuff that, you know, I, I think the talent is definitely better than what we're seeing. It, it's just that they just don't seem to mentally be there. Yeah, Buddy Heald's a topic. I know we can uh, – I didn't plan to talk about Buddy, and I, I don't think we will, but, man, shit. There's not, I don't think there's been a Kings player in recent memory that could be so polarizing. You have so many people in some corners that are saying, you know, they love Buddy, they love the, his ability to score in bunches, that he's always bringing it on both ends. And then I think pretty much anyone that's sane will talk about the fact that Buddy doesn't really think a lot during the game, just throws up shots. And it, it, it's weird with Buddy. It always frustrates me because I know he's a team guy. Like, he wants to win. You know, I, I don't doubt his competitive nature. The guy's in the gym 24-7. But then he goes on the court and does shit like that, shooting a three with three seconds into the shot clock. And you're like, why did you do that? It seems like it's for his own personal eight. game. You finally got it down eight, and then it just went right back. But I think that's the thing about Buddy is it's it doesn't even need to be, like, polarizing. Like, that's just who he is. Like, yeah. we like aspects of it, and then we don't. Like, it's – I mean, it should just be as simple as that, but it can never be, right, like, in the extreme world, you know, that we live in. But it's – I find And it unfortunately, amazing. unfortunately, like, his bad – usually ends up happening at like the worst times. The like worst. it's, I mean, and it's, it and wouldn't be as, it wouldn't hurt as much if they were happening at like other And points. maybe that's why it's so weird. It's Cause like, maybe it's cause it's happening at a bad time, but an almost 40% three point shooter shouldn't feel like this bad of a shooter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, he shoots so much, you know, he's like, he's a, he's a volume shooter. So, you, you know, he'll make like, yeah, four or five threes a game, but he shot, 16 of them. So that's terrible. I don't stop shooting. Well, uh, when you look at the shot chart from when he, the year he got paid of like the year that got him paid to now, like you look the year by year regression, it's completely different. Like, so it's no wonder that the guy has regressed. Like, yes, he can still shoot the ball. Great. But how he was doing it to get himself paid it's completely changed. And so again, like you're left with a player that you paid all this money to play a certain way. And then you completely either you won by changing coaches and your schemes took him out of it, or he just wants to be this certain way. I don't know. Like we're, I don't know if we're ever going to get an answer to that, but that's, I mean, but when you look at the four years, like it's completely different. Yeah, Jill and I have discussed whether, you know, Buddy really wants to be here after the trade that fell through, the talking to Doc Rivers after the game, the smiling with Anthony Davis, which now that we're going down this this road, Trevor, I know you had tweeted something about that, capturing that when they captured that moment. You said it was your, one of your biggest pet peeves, if not your biggest pet peeve, is athletes acting like they didn't just get their ass beat. That's been my pet peeve for years. I mean... It's like every time I walk out of the Gold One Center after a loss, I'm so pissed. <laughs> like, like I, I and I, I'll see friends that I know I haven't seen in a long time, and I'll just see them in the in the concourse. I don't even have the energy to go up to them and say hi. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. This game sucked. And it's like you'd think the guys on the court would have the same reaction to a point. It's like it doesn't mean you can't go talk to your friend or you can't like, you know, you don't have to go into a deep dark depression after every loss, you know, but. It just shows a little bit of like where their heads are at after it's like, oh, well, you know, we lost. But, oh, hey, Anthony Davis is here. My my homeboy. I want to go up and say hi to him. It's just like that. That just seems really uh, I don't know. It just kind of shows where they're at. And, and also just the common sense of like, you know, think about the fans and like how upset they are. It's like maybe have that conversation behind closed doors. I know there's covid protocols, certain things you maybe can't do, but like 
I don't know. Can you FaceTime him after the game? Like, you want to go up to this team that's on this supposed rival and that just destroyed you and go up to him and just have a friendly conversation like nothing happened when you know the, like, you know, I was going to say 17,000 Kings fans, but in that game it was probably about 7,000 Kings fans are there in front of you, like, you know, watching this whole thing unfold. I, I don't know. It just shows a, a lack of common sense and, and also just a lack of, um, you know, it doesn't seem like he has a lot of compassion about losing or just doesn't seem to care. At least that's how it comes across. Yeah. I, again, I don't know if that, I, I would struggle to find that to be true, that Buddy Heal doesn't want to win, but it's almost that he's so used to losing that now it's just, it's natural for him. And Marianne, you were at that game, if I'm not mistaken, with some friends that were Laker fans. So, uh, no, my friends weren't Lakers fans. I was just surrounded by. Oh, surrounded by Lakers fans. Yes, unfortunately. That must have been a fucking nightmare. It was. It. I had been to a Kings Lakers game before, like I think when I was in college. So it was you know years ago. But um, yeah, it was just so painful. Uh, once the Lakers, you know, started going on their run, and you could kind of just like all of a sudden you just looked around and there's all these people standing up and, and it was like, whoa, like, where'd you all come from? Cause you know, in the first half, you know, things are going our way. Um, and it just wasn't as, as, uh, it didn't feel oh, as bad. Yeah. But then once the Lakers started going and it just, it was, it was hard and it was, it was frustrating. And like, like you said, you know, it's like afterwards I was pissed. I was like walking out of there and I was like, I want to fight somebody. <laughs> I want to fight one of these Lakers fans. I didn't, um, but it's you know, yeah, you're just mad, and and it is so. It is frustrating to see, you know, the players that you're rooting for not really give a damn about it. Um, yeah, it it doesn't feel good. I went to the uh, Laker rap, or excuse me, the I think the Lakers Raptor game. I went to the Kings Raptors game uh, the day before the fan threw up on the court. Uh, my buddy's a Raptors fan. His dad. But I'd never met the guy, but he must be stacked because he bought us some sweet seats. So we went to the game and, you know, as the game slowly became a massacre and the Kings were getting their ass handed to him, I just looked at him. I, sh- I shook his hand. I was like, thank your dad for buying these tickets, because if I paid for this, I would be livid. And then I just went and grabbed a beer and I was like, we're drinking now. You know, that's the only <laughs> like, we're here. So we're just, we're just lean that's into what it. We have. <laughs> yeah, we have alcohol. Uh, as they're losing by 30 to the Raptors. I just, yeah, I feel like at some point during the season, we get back to that Tyra Banks one where it was like the, we were rooting for you, you know, yeah. where it's like you have like that pissed off and like the finger pointing, like it, it, it it's inevitable that at some point it gets to the season and it was like, here it comes. Like, is that the meme with the cat? I thought you were different. No, but that's you're thinking of the Real Housewives one, but that's similar too, where the cat's sitting there and it was like, "How could you do this?" But yeah, this was like people are pulling her back, and it was it was top model stuff, but it was like we were rooting for you, and they're like (laughs) pulling her away. (laughs) So, John, you said that Alvin Gentry is. I think you had said that you're not going to be a long term guy, but I I would agree with you. But do you think uh, this team can? They're three and three right now. I I personally, even though it doesn't feel like it. This is probably the natural optimist in me. I feel like they've been playing a little bit better. Like they've been entertaining. I, I, I enjoy watching them a little bit more, and you know, until they collapse. But I, I enjoy watching them more than I watched enjoyed watching Luke Walton's disaster. So, do you think Alvin Gentry can at least get these guys to a play-in? Uh, the bar for playing is so low that I think saying no is it, it would it, that'd be pretty pessimistic. I mean, I they, you really don't need to play that well to get that ten seed. Um, so I, I think. You know, they're not that far out of it right now. I forget, I think they're like three games or something like that. Um, so 
you know, I, I think they can play well enough to get into the that that seed. At the start of the year, I was thinking the talent was going to be there. Um, and, and I still think it's there. It just doesn't seem to, you know, with the redundancies and stuff like that, I just I, – I, my bar moved from that sixth, seventh, eighth possi- possibility to, yeah, I do think you could still get there in that ninth, tenth seed. I mean, the West isn't exactly running away with anything. So you just pretty much have to play mediocre basketball from here on out, and I, I think you're getting there. We can't do that, though, John. No, I know. Like, I'm telling you, as far as it's like in the core of the earth, we just don't be terrible, and you're, they're good. Like they'll make it there, and, and you know. But that's optimistic. So, yeah. So uh, yes, I think they could still recover and get into the play-in. Um, and I do think they're playing better. They still just there's that mental hurdle hurdle that I think this team needs to get over. And and uh, will they ever get there is a the question. It doesn't seem. You know, nothing Fox is doing right now leads me to believe that that he's going to be the one that pushes them past that hurdle, um, right. which is unfortunate. So is it going to come from somebody else? Is it going to come from Fox? But I do think you're going to, until they can figure it out, you're going to get these games like we had against the Lakers where the second someone hits you, hits them hard, they're just going to collapse. And so, you know, if they fix that, then they'll, they'll make the play in easily. But will they? The current 10th seed uh, surprising, actually, but their whole team is injured. The Denver Nuggets are the tenth seed right now. They're ten and eleven. So the Kings are two games back of a team that will ultimately, in the Nuggets, not actually be the tenth seed once they get healthy. That team will be in the top six most likely. So looking at that actually makes me feel less encouraged by it. Tre- Trevor, how are you feeling about? We'll start with the playing. We're going to work our way inward. But does playing seem like it could happen? Still, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with John. I think it's, I mean, it's kind of sad that that, like, the bar is pretty low for the play-in. So it, it, it does seem like that would definitely be a mi- doable. I think they will be in the mix for that. I mean, it seems like inevitably that's where the Kings always fall anyway, even before the play-in. Like, they're always kind of hovering around 10, 11. So, um, I mean, I, I really do think that on paper, I mean, on paper, this is a, a pretty decent team. It's, <laughs> mentally, I feel like with, with everything, I feel like they really are like a 500 team, but they, if they can avoid those long losing streaks, and I and I don't think they can avoid those just because, um, you know, kind of like the same thing with Buddy, you know, it's like he gets into a shooting slump and then he thinks the best way to do it is just start chucking up 30 footers. And I feel like that's kind of the entire mentality on the Kings team is and it, when the going gets tough, they think they go completely away from their game plan and they get t- completely thrown off. And then it leads to a, you know, that's why they play poorly and, you know, after the half and that's why they lead to all these long losing streaks. So I think if they can figure out a way to avoid that and maybe even turn it around where they can build on the good stuff and stick with it with some consistency, I, I think they could be a 500 team. I mean, because it does seem like that's what they do when they're not in the middle of a losing streak. They play 500 basketball. So anyway, we'll see. But I, I do think that they will um, find a way, especially with Monty. I feel like he's going to be motivated to make some moves that will probably make this team a little better. I, I don't know if it's going to make it <laughs> anything significant, but I think he'll do enough to make put the right pieces in there to, to get them in that mix for the play-in. Vivek knows where Monty's office is and probably where Monty McNair lives. So he can't outrun Vivek because at the end of the day, I agree. Vivek's going to be breathing down his neck to get this team going somewhere positive and make some sort of positive trade. We don't know what that is. We're going to actually get to that in a bit. Hi, Miran. You close us out on this one. Do you, uh, are you the outlier here? Are you going to play devil's advocate or you, you still think you, you have us of the whole group here, not to 
slam on you or anything, but like I feel like your hopes might be the lowest out of everyone's right now. At least your yeah. Twitter content is <laughs> interpreting in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's possible, and I would not be surprised if they did get the play in. Um, I guess for me, I just don't really care about it. <laughs> I, I, not that, okay, I guess that sounds bad. I think it would be really <laughs> fun um, if they got it and to have that, you know, extra game to cheer for. But to me, we get that and then what? You know, I think there's so many fundamental problems on this team right now that it's it's just not going to really do much for me. Um, when you were asking about Gentry, well, just the coaching in general, I don't think this is all on Gentry um, because it's it's been being preached for years now. But I'm starting to get uh, a little annoyed about the whole pace agenda. Um, I do think that they do well at that. I think that's where they score the most efficiently by pushing the ball, by getting quick shots, getting high volume shots um, throughout the game. But then at the same time, I'm starting to ask, well, what team doesn't play better in that setting? Like that's ideal, right? For any team is to is to run and push and score easy baskets. Um, so for the Kings, I'm starting to get frustrated because it feels like they're just using that as a cop-out almost um, as a way to not have to put in the work to develop a real offense. Um, you know, so that's kind of where I start to think about like when we're moving into play in and possible playoffs in the future, it's like, well, if we're just going to be this pace team forever, that's not going to get us very far once we get to a play in playoff. But it's fun to watch. It is fun to watch. And I will go with your point and the two that we're already hearing the excuses of, well, if we run and do this way, then our defense is going to slide. Like, no. I mean, look at the Warriors. Sorry. Like, I mean, there are there are teams that are able to play both ends of the court. And so when you mentioned the, the offensive excuse, I'm already starting to hear the defensive excuse of, well, if they do this, then that, that means they're going to have trouble on the other side. And I mean, that's, yeah, shouldn't have to happen either. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I feel like, yeah, they're, they're trying to say, oh, well, we can be the fastest team in the league. That's how we're going to score. That's going to be our identity. Um, but when you don't have anything to back that up, when it's not going well, like you were saying, Jill, when they're not hitting shots, when they're not playing defense, what do you have to fall back on? And that's, you know, so often we see them get forced into half court sets and they can't do anything because there's no, um, there's no chemistry and there's no synergy really like as a unit. We do see good, good two man game between Holmes and Halliburton, but beyond that, you know, we can't distribute it to five players and get everybody playing good basketball. Um, so that's what concerns me the most and, and why I get a little <laughs> triggered when, when we talk about play-in and playoffs. It's like, I, it'll be fun, but when it's over, you know, these problems are still going to be there and it's going to suck. Yeah, but let's live in the moment. Yeah, you know, let's be real. We haven't seen any, like, basketball in Kingsland that matters in 16 years. So I hear what you're saying. I agree with you. But, you know, if we make it, fuck it, I'm going to roll with it. Fuck yeah. it, we deserve it. As never yeah. the elite said. <laughs> Last time the Kings played meaningful basketball, the NBA shut down. Oh, shit. <laughs> do, people, do people know this? <laughs> John, tell somebody. The NBA is like, whoa! Hold on! Season. Stop it. Is he having an important game? 
It's literally not meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm so, it it did well. it like right. If it was gonna happen, it would have happened to to like as soon as we started doing something well, we shut down and then you, hey, let's come to the bubble. And then they came back and bubbled <laughs> like, terrible. Nose dive. <laughs> But Luke Walton brought his coffee machine. We stopped it. <laughs> but yet, here comes the Suns who turn it around in the bubble and have just been on the uptick since. Like the team that everyone said should not be invited to the bubble. I feel like they, I feel like yeah. they haven't I lost mean, since they played in the just, bubble. It's just how, you know, it's our luck. We, we have how it rolls here. To touch on what Miran said, it, yeah, the pace thing, I, I guess in Gentry's defense, uh, He's always played like that. He's he's a disciple of the, the seven seconds or less offense. That's his game. Whether it's the Kings or not, he's going to try and do that. What, what really hurts and what people – they're starting to talk more about it, but I feel like it's been under, under underspoken. I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say. Uh, it hasn't been said enough. There we go. Um, words are hard. They uh, Everyone on this team can't shoot. The, the percentage – Field goal percentage and three-point percentage of everyone on this roster, except for Rashawn Holmes' field goal percentage, is terrible. Like, it's mind-boggling that you could be an NBA professional athlete and you're shooting this poorly. Terrence Davis's three-point percentage before last game, when he hit, like, four of them, was 20%. That guy made, you know, a niche for himself as a 3-and-D run-up-and-down-the-court guard. Now he can't make a three all of a sudden. De'Aaron Fox really struggled out of the gate. Tyrese Halliburton isn't shooting it and then struggles a little bit to get in that rhythm. It's crazy. It's like these guys all forgot how to play basketball because, yeah, there's talent on this team. Jill and I have said that. It's not like this roster is terrible. They're not the Thunder that just lost by 800 points. <laughs> but they just don't. All of these dudes suck. <laughs> like, they, they suck right. They're losers. I like to say keep saying they're losers because that expresses how I feel inside about them. I feel like they're all losers because they haven't won anything. Not a single one of them except for Tristan Thompson. Well, Harrison Barnes. Oh, sorry. Yes, Harrison. We always Barnes. forget about Harrison Barnes. I, I do. It's like the only good thing we have, and I space on him. I know. Uh, he doesn't fit. He, he doesn't make sense that he's here. It's like he's too good. He hasn't played in like a week though, so we kind of forget about him. Exactly. exactly. But that's what I mean when I say it feels lazy to just fall back on this whole "let's get a lot of shots up" because then that's what happens: is you get people like Terrence Davis, Chimezi Metu that are having this green light and shooting horribly and it looks awful. And, and so that's what I mean. It just feels lazy in that it doesn't seem like we're putting any intentional thought into how can we actually get the players we want to take the shots. We're just saying, let's all run, let's all shoot when we're open. Let's all, we got to get as many shots up as possible. It's like, that's not sustainable because you're not going to shoot well and you're going to be like Terrence Davis once in a while. I don't want – don't say that to me. <laughs> I wonder I how much like of that is, like, a waterfall effect of, like, Buddy Heald's green light. Like, you know, when he's sitting there shooting from almost half court with 22 seconds, 21 seconds on the shot clock, like, when you catch the ball a little bit later down the offense, you might be more apt to shoot because you know if it touches Buddy's hands again, you're never getting it back. So I, I, I'm wondering how much of the fallout from just some of the just terrible shot selection – you know, because when you play as kids growing up, you're on the blacktop, like if you don't touch the ball in the ball, when you touch it, you're looking to shoot the ball because you know that you may not. Who, when are I going to get to shoot again? So I'm wondering how much of some of these green lights of some of these players is actually affecting some of the other players down the line. Yeah. The other one, too, it, I think it was Walton's last game. He actually said Metu was going to have five games to prove himself. Um, and so I think comments like that where I know he's gone and then I know injuries happen. So 
like we might have seen more than five games just because of injuries. But I also feel like then you have a guy who's at the very end of the bench on a $1 million contract who's going to go out there, whether it's smart or not, and maybe kind of force things because he feels like, oh, God, I have five games to prove why on a team that's spiraling down to why I deserve to now be on the court compared to somebody else. Um, so I think like those kind of like mind things can also play into um, how a guy kind of does stuff. Because I mean, we see games where he they play within themselves and then we see games where it's like non-existent. So it's, can you find that happy medium somewhere of um, not forcing, but still playing within within the flow? Yeah, and, I was thinking, and you don't see anyone try and take it away either, right? Like it's, or to stop it. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the lack of a, a consistent rotation. I mean, I like that. Um, like I mentioned before, I do like the Gentry isn't afraid to pull somebody out if they're not going according to plan. But I think that works for certain teams, uh, and it kind of establishes something if everyone's on board. But I think with this team, it just being so mentally soft, I think it in, so, in many ways it makes it worse because they know they might not have another opportunity and they're almost they try too hard to um, present, uh, you know, uh, make a case for themselves that they should get more minutes and they go out of their game. And I think that's why you see um, someone like Metu trying to turn into, you know, <laughs> you know, a kind buddy, of healed. Buddy, buddy healed. Yeah, <laughs> a big man version of Buddy healed. You know, and, and I mean, I think that's what you see with even like Deer and Fox, you know, adding all this muscle. It's like he thinks that like I need to get into the paint more. So I'm going to add muscle and then I'm just going to drive. to. I have muscle now, so I'm going to drive to the paint every single time. And it's like that's not always what it makes sense if you have a shot blocker up there. You know, maybe try to find your teammates. It just seems like everybody is trying too hard to make something happen right away. And even the players that are going to still get their minutes are trying too hard. You know, like Deer's probably trying too hard to be an all star uh, and you know, um, Buddy's trying too hard to, I don't know, be Kobe or whoever he thinks he is. And, um, you know, and then you just see like Metu and all these other guys that are kind of fringe rotational players trying a little too hard to keep their minutes. And I think it definitely further um, distracts them from the game plan. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking too is I don't know how many people watched um, the Olympic Games with Metu as well, but um, I think also young players having to get in the mindset of, okay, you're going to go play this specific way for this team. But when we need you over here, now we're going to need you to play this, this specific way. Because if you watch any of those games, they had him stand at the top of the three point line on either side and shoot threes. Like that was his, that was like what he did um, was either he was running the court and getting like the putbacks or he was behind the three point line um, in the corner or at the top. And so, okay, like he did that and it worked well there. Like he made his threes. He, I think he was almost like 50%. So it worked in that setting. But now coming back here, it's like, and I see him going and standing up there and doing that same kind of thing. But is it like, is that where they're calling you to be? Or is that kind of still where your mindset is from? This is what I had to do for so many months during the summer. But I mean, so just, things of where it looked very similar to me of like where they're having him be placed is similar to where um, he was like doing it with the Warriors coaching staff who was, who was coaching Nigeria in the, in the playoffs. So um, 
I don't know if that's what they're telling him to do or not, but I just thought that was interesting that at least I'm seeing him run to a lot of the spots where he was told to go um, over the summer. And maybe there's a mindset thing there of getting out but of I that. Like, or yeah. I feel like at least Matthew shots are in the flow of the offense. Most of the time yeah. he tends to be open, whether that's by design of the defense or not, but it, but it's, yep. he's at least open. Like if they're not four shots for the most part. So, you know, he, he's just got to make those shots, Like he's wide open. A shout out to Jill real quick, though. I, I find someone else that watched Nigerians national team play basketball. Uh, just study Chemezi Metu. I, John, I know you weren't doing that. Trevor, Miran, I don't know about you guys. NBA players. Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah. I wasn't even paying attention to that whole tournament. I was kind of actually thinking yeah. it was gotcha. almost funny that Team USA was just, you know, getting crapped on because then Popovich had these iconic, typical pop press conferences where he's just trying to fight a reporter yeah. who's just doing his job. Kind of an asshole, that guy. Seriously, like you can lose and just be, you know, answer the question. But he always was like, well, "What do you, what do you know about stuff?" And he's always so defensive. Uh, but that's going down a whole nother line. Uh, God, I wish well, Greg Popovich was our coach. I can't even imagine we would be a lot better than this. Uh, rotation player that you would want to see play a little bit more. What's what's one? I, I'm very adamant about Damian Jones. I want Damian Jones on the court. I just like I like everything he does. He's very bouncy and fun. And runs up and down the court. Miran. Who would you want to see? More. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I would like to see Damian Jones a little bit more. Um, it seems like he gets thrown in kind of at the beginning of garbage time and rides it out through there. But I think he could be helpful even before then. So I agree. Trevor, this is a random question I threw in here. Um, I mean, I definitely agree about Damian Jones. He's, he's never given me any reason to not like him. I mean, every time he's played when he's gotten playing time last year. Um, I mean, I wanted to say uh, Lewis King, um, just because that's a, a position of need. Um, and he, but he's already in the rotation. So, you know, I, I mean, he looks like he is. I'm just hoping he, he continues getting an opportunity. Uh, he showed some flashes last year, and obviously he's shown a lot in Stockton um, so far this season. Um, so I, I'm kind of between him or Jemias Ramsey, just because I feel like Jemias Ramsey's got a pretty smooth looking shot, and we're desperate for someone who needs you know, who can shoot uh, consistently. So, uh, you know, I'd be kind of curious to give him an opportunity as well. But, um, yeah, I, I probably probably Lewis King right now. And then John? Yeah, I, I mean, the the Damian Jones ones, that's a good one. I just don't need to see Tristan Thompson and stuff. So anytime you get any of those minutes, like, just give them all to Damian Jones. I'm perfectly okay with that. Like, uh, he's shown enough. Um, he, he's, he's that big body that, that we kind of wanted and all that. So... Um, yeah, Damian Jones is a good one. I could do my go ahead and just send Marvin Bagley out to the full blown rotation take that, that I know everyone will love. But, um, yeah, we'll stop. But yeah, I think Damian Jones is a good one. Good. I'm glad I got people on the Damian Jones bandwagon. <laughs> hey, I, I've been I, there. I got, I was, I was a fan of him last year. I, last year I said, I did boot Hassan Whiteside off this team and gave every second of his, his minutes to Damian Jones. All right, John, relax. Okay. I couldn't get two seconds to take that credit. <laughs> I, I started I was that. there no, first. It was me. Well, take the credit. We're sitting uh, there throwing it, Cole into the train together. We're good. Yeah. Well, as we're saying this about Damian Jones, he's currently on assignment in the G League. So, no. Yeah, but Gentry. Not. They, they, they were that, called everybody back. All they did was the Kings didn't practice yesterday. So, no. they threw him down in a practice scrimmage. That's oh. that's all it was. Um, yes. And um, Ham already said they're all recalled back, like because they're practicing today. They just got guys in for a practice because they had the day off. Okay. That makes sense. Make use of the time. All right. Uh, 
Final record projection. I, I said in the beginning that we're going to get that from you guys. 9-14 and 14 right now. I Oh, man, I can do this math. 23 games. So they have 59 more games. 59 more games to go. That is correct. Uh, how do we feel about what their final record is going to be in a, in a now full 82-game season? Trevor, I'm going to put you on the spot first, man. How are you feeling about this team final record-wise? I think I'm going to stick with uh, going 500 the rest of the way. So wow. uh, just because I think there's oh, going to be a losing streak in there, but I think at some point they're going to probably have some kind of a winning streak. They're going to be inspired by some new players and throw off a couple of wins to get every, give everyone a little bit of hope like they always do. Um, and so I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go with, let's go with 38 wins. So okay. whatever that comes out to 38 and 44. 44. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> Perfect. One one less than their previous high, which was 39 with Jaeger. And then they had 38 with Reggie Theus that one year. I, I, that was the one year I enjoyed as a child watching the Kings. Uh, and then, of course, they fired Reggie Theus, I think, the next year. John? Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually think Trevor's about where I'm at, too. Um, I'll probably have him a, a couple. I, I think when we did the roundabout last time, I was – about that two one one to two games over five hundred, and I probably split that. I'm probably now back down to one to two games under five hundred. Um, I, I think they'll kind of play better the rest of the year, and you'll you'll get. Yeah, you know, I, I don't see another one of those like nine game losing streaks sneaking in there. Um, but I would. Yeah, not gonna lie, I mean, it'll be twelve. <laughs> but, but that's right. I, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I kind of agree with where Trevor's at. He's going thirty eight. Sure. I'll go 39. I'll be the optimist over Trevor. Nice. Very nice. Nice is right style. Yeah, exactly. And then Miriam, <laughs> yeah. be the most optimistic one here. I'm going to be a hater. She's taking one dollar. <laughs> yeah. One win. Nine I'm wins. And I'm a hater. So <laughs> I think at the beginning of the season, I started at 39. Um, and I think right now, so they're on pace, I think, for 32. Yeah. So I'm going to split that and say 35. And 35. Just do it mathematically. You know, and I think that's what the last, what, three years we've been at like 34, 35. So, you know, it's or 33 around there. So it fits right in. We're always floating. Consistent. In the 30s. Yeah. Consistent. Yeah, I think we're consistent at. <laughs> I don't see anything to make me feel one way or the other. Or, you know, saying they're going to do a lot worse or do a lot better. Um, and I think that kind of fits in, like, you just, you truly don't know anything when it comes to this team. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of just going to ride the middle for now. One uh, one thing that's been resonating with me, especially with how they've been playing right now, you know, get your ass whooped by the Grizzlies and the Lakers and then beat the Clippers, granted without Paul George, but I don't care. We and Jill are saying it doesn't matter if the team's missing their whole team. Uh, the Kings will still find some way to lose in that situation, like they did to the Lakers without LeBron. But we had Vlade Divac's son with us, Mattia, a friend of mine, and he gave us a great line. This was at the beginning of the season. This is when they were five and four. We were feeling good about the team. He said, the funny thing about the Kings is they can beat anyone in the league, and then they can then just as quickly lose to anybody in the league. And that, I don't know why I have an echo, but is anyone else hearing that echo, or am I losing my mind? I'm losing my mind. Okay, you were nodding. Um, Cool, we're going to roll with it. But yeah, that's how how they are right now, for sure. You can beat anyone, you can lose anyone. 
So how can you form an opinion really on this team when that's the case? Yeah. Yeah, and there was I just happened to see something from um Halliburton uh post practice gave a thing and they were asking him about the season and he had said that um like the hardest thing for him right now is still learning how to win in this league, right? Like he came on to a losing team and it's he said like how to manage the highs of winning and then not completely free falling. Like I'm, you know, those aren't exactly his words, but I'm just like a little summary wise of, of what he was saying was they still have to figure out how to, you know, not be overconfident with their wins and then completely, um, you know, blow it for the next string of games. <laughs> well, and the crazy part about that is, uh, you know, Halliburton as a second year player is probably one of the few guys on the team that you could like, give it like you could understand if he doesn't know how to figure that out yet like the the winning versus losing scenario you know because he's new to the league and but like it's all these veteran players and i'm like they don't know how to adjust to this either like i mean even deer and fox around long enough it's like you would think he would be able to kind of figure this out by now you know but it's like the younger guys like i'm even davion mitchell like i think he probably is better at better equipped at kind of has the right attitude coming out of losses than a lot of these veteran players. You know, I don't see Davion Mitchell over there, you know, <laughs> yucking it up with his friends after the game. Um, and I, and Halliburton looks pissed too. So does Holmes, but everybody else is just kind of like, well, whatever. So it's just kind of interesting that Halliburton says that that's an issue and maybe speaking on behalf of the team, but it seems like he is a lot better at that than a lot of the older players. Yeah. The shine on De'Aaron Fox is going away quite fast. In large part, I think, because of his, his attitude. We know Casey Kenny Garraway is just, it seems like he's anti-Fox now because of the way he presents himself in post-game interviews. He's slouch. He's like, he's, a, he's acting like a little turd, like a, like a kid after he loses some, you know, you something soccer game. And that's what you, what you want from your max player. But that's, shit, that's a whole other topic. Uh, okay, the last thing we wanted to talk about before we went to Jill's Water Cooler to end this Friday show is to hear from each one of you about, as we approach December 15th, the glorious day that we expect the wheels to start spinning, trades to start happening. Who would you want the Kings to get? A realistic trade target for the Sacramento Kings to give them a boost. And it doesn't, well, I guess it doesn't even need to give them a boost if it's they're kind of selling the team, selling off some of the players. You know, a young guy that you'd like to get from another team to help in the future. So it's broad, I guess. Miran, do you have someone on another team that you just really like that you would love to see play for the Kings? Before you go, I would say everyone try and mute their speakers and see if that makes a difference in the echo right now. Yeah, I know why it's, it's like coming off and on, um, but just to right. see if that helps. So that only one person has the mic on. Miran, you have the floor. So I'll be honest, I don't, I did maybe like five minutes of research on this before <laughs> we hopped on. Um, I'm not very well versed in, in like, you know, contracts and all that stuff. Um, but the one that I saw, oh, there were a couple that I saw. So I, I mostly focused on looking at Marvin Bagley trades. Sorry, John. Um, only because I feel like he's, you know, he's made it clear he doesn't, he doesn't want to be here. I feel like he's, one of the first to, to be on the docket to go. Um, so I saw one uh, that included him and Tristan Thompson for Mo Bamba and Terrence Ross, which intrigued me. Um, 
don't care as much about Terrence Ross, but I think, you know, Mo Bamba has some potential. He's um, averaging 10 and nine right now. Um, and then the other one I saw was the three team trade where the Kings would get Chris Boucher, um, which also intrigued me just because, you know, he's not producing as, as well as Mo Bamba, but um, I think he has some potential. I like watching him play. So those are my two. The uh, Mo Bamba one, I like that quite a bit. I think Jill gave a two thumbs up there. I like so, both of them. <laughs> yeah. Terrence Ross is, yeah. you know, he's, he's very similar to Terrence Davis in how they play basketball. They also both came from Toronto. So yeah. like that both idea, Jill. Defense and stretch the floor. So Yes. Great idea on the mic, by the way. Um, that, that worked out perfectly so far. So we're going to keep doing that. Uh, John, open up that mic, my friend. We're all go silence. I do like that Obama trade. I actually like Terrence Ross. I've been, I, he's been one of my like random players that I love for some reason that he's never ever justified, but for some reason I love him. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I like the, they need a four at the end of the day, like badly. So if you can get the Robert Covington's, the Pascal Siakam's in any of those type of trades, whether you're swinging big or, you know, just trying to show it up. I, I think they pretty much happy with that at this point. Um, I'm actually fine with including Marvin Bagley um, in trades uh, as much as I like him. But uh, it's just, you know, the damage, this relationship's broken. <laughs> so so um, if you can get something for him, get him. Um, my thing is I just don't want to fire sell him. I, he, the truth is he's stuck here. Um, so if you can get productivity out of him, fix some of his, you know, kind of his reputation um, and trade him, then then that's, that's a win-win for everybody. Um, so, you know, he's obviously not, doesn't appear to be the, any form of long-term solution. So, uh, you know, I, as far as our team, I think we just need to start getting rid of some of the redundancy. Um, you know, I would get rid of Buddy Heald probably. I mean, that, that relation is broken. That scene at, at half court with the, you know, with Anthony Davis, that, that's a, like, you know, nail in a coffin when it comes to a Kings fan. Like, don't, don't sit there after you blew an 11 point lead and, laugh with Lakers at half court it, in golden one center. That's just, I would have shipped him out that night. Like I, whatever the highest bidder wins. And so I, I think, you know, it's not so much of like, we do need to address the four position, but there's just personalities on this team that this team isn't mentally strong enough to deal with. And, and, and Buddy Heald's one of them, the Marvin Bagley select, you know, <clears throat> distraction, probably another one. And so I, I think I'm more towards let's fix the redundant players and kind of the broken mindset players, get them out of the locker room. And then, you know, maybe we just kind of, before you kind of commit to a big name or something like that, maybe you kind of get with those players out, play the rest of the season and then see where we're at. That way you're not really committed. We can kind of see what we really have. You know, as someone who doesn't, who is never a fan of Luke Walton. And I think he was actively hurting the players. Um, you know, I kind of want to see how they play for the rest of the year without them. You know, do we see players get better? Do we see players get worse? Are they the exact same? And then just kind of reevaluate. So don't commit to some, you know, five-year contract of some questionable big name, you know, player. Get rid of the problems. See what we have. Get a good coach. Then, you know, because I also don't really want to commit to a four or five-year player when you don't even know who the coach is going to be next year. That player may not have may not fit that new coach's playing style. So I don't want to give up our future assets or good players for somebody that may not even ultimately end up fitting with the coaching playing style. 
So I, I don't really want to commit super long term to some kind of bigger name than more just clean up what we have. Uh, let's see what and then readdress it later down the road. Trevor, take it. I uh, yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't like uh, I, when I was looking at potential like trade targets, I was trying to think of, you know, filling areas of need and also what can we give up without really giving up the few assets that we actually have. I don't want to do a full rebuild and a fire sale. Just, you know, I mean, people that are on their way out, like Buddy Bagley, and we can maybe throw in some picks. That's fine. But I don't necessarily, and we could look at a Darren Fox deal if we think maybe his he doesn't have the right mentality. But uh, yeah, I don't want to just trade people off just to trade them off. So uh, I don't know. One of the things that comes to mind in the same reason that we need a four, um, you know, I, I, Christian Wood, I know he's been um, playing, I think, more center with the Rockets, but um he and i don't honestly know why the rockets would want to get rid of him i mean i guess they are in full rebuild mode and you know he's, i think he's 26 so maybe that's a little bit not in the right um age range and he, maybe he doesn't really fit their their window uh and i know he's making you know pretty decent amount of money but it seems like he would um really fill a need on this team um he rebounds well um i know he's been hurt a little bit this year and, and i think some of his numbers are down but uh, and I don't, honestly don't know if they would be interested in anybody that we have at all. I mean, Bagley was maybe a guy that they would look at. It kind of fits their team a little better as kind of a take a flyer. And, and I'm sure they would want some <laughs> some picks. Um, but, you know, that's that's one of the guys that came to mind for me just because I really do think we need a four. Um, we could also look at adding a wing and, and just if we're kind of sticking with Barnes at the four. And Harrison Barnes also has been rebounding well this season. And I think he's. Um, proven that he could play for if we needed him to. Um, so if we were looking at a wing, I, I, you know, I still like to stick with the Jeremy Grant. Um, you know, pursuing that, especially knowing that they're potentially interested in Bagley. I mean, at least they should be because they're <laughs> desperate for big men with all their injuries. Um, but I, you know, I guess it's just, uh, you know, we'll just kind of see what happens. But I really think that's where they need to focus is is the three and the four. We definitely don't need any more ones and twos unless we are planning to to trade um trade off fox um my only people that i would try to avoid getting rid of would be you know halliburton and um and davion mitchell i just think that they have the right mentality and they haven't been completely uh, soured by the losing just yet so i think they still have the right um mindset to lead this team forward so i would rather hang on to them if all possible and just focus on seeing what we can do with the rest of the team i like that I man. That was well said well, uh the right mentality that those guys have. They haven't had Sacramento ruin them just yet. I will say though, if I'm being honest with all of you, I feel like all of you were wrong because the quickest way to fix this team is I think pretty simple. Bring back like the winners of the past. So here goes Poppy Giannis, Scal LeBizier, uh, Malachi Richardson. We had some good moments. Like those are the guys that could, I think we gave up on them a little too soon. I think they could bring us back to some glory. We don't talk about that enough. We should talk about it. Uh, Yorgos looking pretty dirty over in Greece. He's still 24. Plenty of time. Uh, Vlade, you hear this? That won't mean anything because you're not in charge, but you know I'm giving you a shout-out on that one, the weirdest first-round pick in the history of the Sacramento Kings. Okay, thank you, guys. I appreciate you. I, I know it, um, Mir, and I, I didn't even expect you to put in 30 seconds of research. I, it was more something I was thinking was going to be on the spot. The fact that you spent five minutes doing it, I'm very complimented by that. Thank you. John just pulled that out of his ass, uh, what he was saying there. So, terrific. Jill, this is the, the best point of the show where I get to give you the floor. 
and you get to uh, treat us to a Jill's water cooler. And I guess we get to see something today too. People yeah, at home well, don't, but we get we get an image. Home, but so you can actually see if you can Ooh. faintly see like the yeah. net around. That looks like bar. So we're doing we're, the the cage. So if you guys heard that water cooler about how there was no out of bounce line, but they had like chicken wire or netting um, around and nothing. Um, did you could you see that, John? No. Oh, I thought there was a message that popped up. I thought you were asking oh, if I okay. saw the message. Oh, no, gotcha. I, no. I, the I way you were looking, so I, I was like, that. could you see it? So um, that was the one. I can end up posting it online later if people want to see it. But um, it did show the actual, we were curious, like, what it would look like, the actual netting around it. So um, now that I have you guys on, I know every year we kind of see some different rule changes, but I never actually look up, like, why. Why did that change? Or was it because a specific person? Like I know we had some this this year and it was because of the last couple of years of like the flailing three and, you know, the kickouts and things like that. So I talked about this before, how there was, um, they didn't used to have like out of the out of balance where it was the jump ball after every made basket. I don't know if you guys heard this one. So I was curious, like, why did they have a jump ball after every made basket oh god here goes the dog it, it's like the perfect time hold on one second i'm gonna have to open the door so she can get out and then i'll come back if you hold it on wouldn't it would no go ahead jill it would not be an episode of the sports ethos podcast with jill adge if the dogs didn't get involved at some point or rather i don't even know how many dogs she has guys truthfully i feel like well, the kings might want that uh that that chain fence around the court after the fans start throwing up okay. on the, the court so they might they might want to bring that back I want more throw up I on the court. I have two, but there's four in the house right now, so they're loud. Um, okay. So in 1930, they called this the center jump. So in 1937, um, a center jump followed each successful basket. Teams with a good jumper had an advantage. So having a jump ball situation after every um, field goal allowed obviously slowed the game, the game down. But if you had someone that was really athletic, like you could have a team that literally – never got the ball back. <laughs> like it was so you would just have one person going over and over. And this caused then um some physical, you know, issues. So it slowed the game the game down considerably. Um obviously it's still used today to start the game and then in overtime. The alternating possession didn't happen until actually 1981. I didn't realize that it was like that far down that they actually started doing like the the um, arrows that, you know, that you see, like when we were growing up and like in college, how they have the alternating possession arrows. Um, so 1981, that came about. So this was done to eliminate multiple violations that were occurring on jump balls and officials in consistency of tossing the ball up. Um, they also had multiple officials who actually ended up getting injured because of the physicality. Um Early on, um, like early on in the out of bounds situations where people were pushing and shoving and kind of like slyly hitting or punching, that was happening to officials in like the scrum scenarios of of jump balls. And so it's kind of funny now when you see the ref like do the jump ball and then they like retreat like pretty fast. Um, I'm assuming that that's like a teaching technique that they had probably because of um, officials getting knocked out. Um, in addition to other players around. And so I'm curious, I, don't, I haven't seen a picture of like, 
everyone kind of has to stand so many feet behind that I don't know if that was the case before then too, that that maybe caused more physical stuff where um, guys were crowding around each other and the ref is like in the middle of like this circle scrum um, type scenario. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and then they actually said um, the, one of the reasons that happened in 1981 was the more recent rule changes have been instituted in an effort to curtail or neutralize the dominance of exceptionally gifted tall players, namely Bob Cruland, George Mikan, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, and Lou Alcindor. So, and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So having those guys come in they in night and, eventually in 1981 they started changing those rules because they were too uh dominating and winning the uh jump balls so this then led to does anybody know why we have goaltending or the offensive basket interference rules does anybody actually no okay i was gonna say because bill so, chamberlain was just always swatting so, shit back goaltending in 1944 the goaltending rule was adopted making uh, it illegal for a defensive player to touch the ball on its downward flight this was in reaction to Bob Curland, who we just heard before, right? The first regular dunker and George Mikan standing in front of the basket and swatting literally every opponent shot, shot attempt. So this reminds me of like when we see those like DeMarcus ones of the little kids and he's like just hitting it. Well, apparently um, Bob Curland and George Mikan literally would just stand in front of the basket and hit everything that was coming their way. So um, because there was no, you couldn't hit it on the downward. It was just, there were teams that literally would probably never get a shot up unless you dunk the ball. So I thought that was interesting. Um, for offensive basket interference in 1958, it was enacted mainly as a result of Bill Russell. So this was a Bill Russell one who became known as the funneler from using two hands to guide his teammate shots into the basket. So he would just stand there and and funnel it. So as we know in international, um, you know, they can still do it to an extent, but one of the reasons, um, in the NBA, it was taken away because of the funneler. So I actually didn't know that nickname for him. And then the last one is the dunking Alcinder rule. Did anybody here know from 1967 to 1977, a no dunking rule was enacted in college basketball? I see John saying yes. Um, so the reasons that was given was to prevent, well, so they say prevent basket damage and injuries. However, it was really because, um, Lou Alcindor, like they wanted him to, to stop. And so what he did was just develop the, un, um, unstoppable sky hook. So where they took away one thing, it literally created what we know as the sky hook today. The thing about that dunking thing too, it was super frowned upon when it first came, when when it technically I think was legal at the time, it was still super frowned upon. And so if you, at that time, if you dunk, they'd send you into the front row. Like it was, you weren't getting a clean dunk off. They would, they would level you essentially. Yeah. So that's sick. <laughs> I, I, uh, I always imagine, I'm imagining, I, I take that all of you have seen semi-pro as basketball fans. So that when they do the whole like the alley oop for the first time, and that movie's set in the mid seventies, I imagine that that is actually like how it happened in some way. Everyone's just like, "What the fuck was that?" They can do that, and the ref's like calling like a foul because he doesn't know what just happened. That's how I imagine like first dunks, alley oops for sure. People were just like, "What the hell?" They can do that, and I had to look this up, Jill, because you were mentioning you know the rules that limited guys that were so 
big, like Will Chamberlain, yeah. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The Will Chamberlain 100-point game that everyone knows about, it makes total sense that obviously he would score 100 points. He was playing a bunch of really short white dudes. But the game, fun fact, not televised. It was 1962. The Philadelphia Warriors beat the New York Knicks 169-147. Everyone would want to be at that game. 169-147. That's insane. Nobody played defense. But the game was not televised, and there's no video footage of that game that's ever been recovered. It was just audio, and because basketball was not big then, it was all about college basketball, the attendance at the game was half its capacity, and no one from the New York press was at the game. So it's almost like this didn't happen. It did, but like I, I was thinking when you had mentioned that, I would love to watch that footage, if it, if it existed, of, of Will Chamberlain just dominating these guys. Because, yeah, th- that's unfair. Like, that's... It's incredible how unfair that would have been to be seven feet tall in 1962. You, no one else has a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's even weird is, is in 1949 coaching during a game was officially allowed. So before then you didn't get coaching during a game or a timeout. It was only allowed at halftime. So it was all right, guys, go, go have fun in your wire cages and figure it out. (laughs) Wow. Big Trevor, you were going to say something, Trevor. I was just going to say, um, thinking about the Wilt Chamberlain thing, I was thinking it's wild to think like how few people that are probably still alive today were present like to actually witness that. I mean, it sounds like there were probably just a few thousand people there anyway. And then, you know, thinking it's been, what, 60 years? It's like, I wonder how many people left are alive to say they witnessed that in person. You know, it's probably it's just a handful. Yeah, I, I you mean. You said it was 67? 1962. Oh, and uh, during the fourth quarter, the Knicks just started fouling. It's like an early rendition of hack a shack, but not on Chamberlain. They fouled everyone else to keep Chamberlain from getting the ball uh, because they, they couldn't stop him. And so, again, there's if I wish there's footage of some guy that's my height trying to guard Will Chamberlain. Like, that's comedic gold. I would watch that on loop. Just. Some poor poor schmuck from New York getting his ass handed to him. Jill, though, thank you. That was great. Uh, she, I'm sure, will post the photo that she has uh, on Twitter so you can see. it. it it's yeah. Now you know that why we have the rules we have. <laughs> yes, be grateful. Uh, although we've said this, I would definitely pay good money to watch a basketball game in 1920 because uh, it's like WWE Raw, like but with a basketball. Yeah. So tell me – Something that's better than that, I don't think there is. Just playing to our guests, the net is nuts. Like I, yeah. Like even just looking at the photo, where I'm like, all right. When is that photo from? Know. Does it have a, like a date on it? Um, that was from. No, it doesn't. But it was part. It was in the middle of that. You know, um, out of bounds. You know, right. paragraph that that I found. So, I mean, it's sometime between. Uh, 1904 and 1933. Wow. So, uh, I forget yeah. that there was like cameras in 1904. Everyone just stood still. No smiling. That's illegal. To our guests, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and joining us on this Friday. I'm going to let you guys speak now if you want to say some closing words. Um, like give you shout out your Twitter or whatever. I don't know. Miran, please start. Uh, closing comments, if you will. Uh, I don't got anything. Just thank you guys for having me. I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time. 
think you guys are great. So I feel very, very lucky to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And you're a kind liar. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I appreciate you listening. Uh, Trevor? Yeah, uh, same thing. I, I've listened every every uh, episode, and it's nice to actually be a part of it. And, uh, you know, sometimes I have to wait a couple of days after a, a loss. Uh, you know, I'm like, I don't feel like listening to anything King's content, but I always go back and catch up. And then, uh, anyway, so I hope to see more wins ahead so we can actually feel a little bit more positivity uh, going forward. But, yeah, it was great talking with you guys, win or lose. <laughs> it was great having you, bro. And, uh, John? I mean, at this point, I'm the veteran, huh? No. You are. Uh, <laughs> you want to take but, the show? No, I'm good. <laughs> I have enough stuff on my plate. I'm good. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the same. I don't really – I mean, I'm hoping we get some kind of more consistently at least watchable basketball in the future. Um, you know, less mental kind of checkouts, players engaged. Um, that's, you know, that's all I'm hoping for the rest of the year. And, um, you know, thank you for having me on. Um, it was a lot of fun. You both of you crush this. It's some of the best content there is. So you guys are way too kind, but we, we, we very much appreciate it. Yeah. And, and we appreciate mutual. you guys coming on. We, it's oh mutual. yeah. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I'm going to close this out by saying, go far, follow uh, the Kings Herald and read all of Miriam's content. It's terrific. And her Twitter content. I, I, you know, my relationship with you guys is mostly through Twitter. So if people are catching on, like he really talks about Twitter content. That's how I know most of these people is through Twitter. That's the lifeline. So John, great photographer, great Twitter content. Super funny. Again, go follow John Bull. John, what is real quick, your actual tag? What is that? Am I missing something? Am I not smart enough to grasp what the name is? All right. So I'll tell you the story of the name. Okay. So, um, okay. <laughs> well, most of my online names in the past have to do with cars. They have nothing to do with anything sports related. Um, and so I was trying to think of a name for Sacktown royalty and at which don't go to that website, but, um, but so I couldn't think of a name. And so uh, the Google word of the day was heuristic, which means essentially trial by error. Um, at the time, Paul Westfall was the head coach, rest in peace, um, was the head coach of the Kings. And uh, it seemed like he was just throwing stuff at a wall and hoping something would work. And so the two kind of lined up where it kind of looked like Paul Westfall was just throwing stuff and just trial by error and just hoping to win a game. And so it just kind of naturally, I linked them together. And then I just never changed it since. Heuristic lineup. So mm -hmm. that goes back to 2013, 2012. Mm -hmm. When was Westfall the coach? 2011, 2012. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know it had so, such a. Yeah. It was just a lineup of trial by error, which is what essentially Paul Westfall did. I can't say I woke up this morning thinking John Bull is going to teach me something cool. Uh, <laughs> you just did. So thank you. And then Trevor, our, our last guest here. Again, great Twitter content. Very, very insightful. Uh, and a big Giants fan. So I was going to say, if you bro, like baseball too. Yep. If you're a baseball person, Trevor's your guy. His Instagram bio is a, a cutout of himself. Uh, subtle flex. Is that at Oracle Park? The cutout? Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> um, yes, that was the uh, yes, that was the one. At, I, I think about it for a second. Yeah, that was the one at when Oracle. There was no fans. Yep. Got it. That's cool. I meant to do that. My, my little nephew was just born when the season started he got his at uh at the uh oakland coliseum his parents are unfortunately ace fans but they kept showing it it was like i think he might have been like the one baby of the crowd so <laughs> it, it got on air quite a bit was just Jaden, and it was just like newborn him and they're like hey, there are babies here uh and they would make comments which is pretty funny but yeah awesome 
go, go follow Trevor on uh, on Twitter as well. Good Italian boy like myself. And thank you all again for coming. Jill, as always, incomparable and all-knowing. It always holds true watching Nigerian basketball. God bless you. Everyone have a great weekend. And because it worked last week, I'm going to say it again. Go Raiders. Slater, dudes. <laughs>